In your son's precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Malachi 3, 6 through 9. It'll be page 1021 in your pew Bibles. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Following up on Gary's reading and his prayer, let me read now, if I could, uh, Luke 16, the New Testament reading, verses 1 through 9. He also, this is Jesus speaking, he also said to his the disciples, there was a rich man who had a, ma- had a, who had a manager and charges were brought to him. This man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. But I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Amen. May we pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. We ask, Lord, that uh, your word might be transforming uh, to our hearts. We might be more the men and women you want us to be in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, two um, astronauts, they had invested themselves for the longest time in a mission. They had prepared what to do in the rocket when it takes off and how they should navigate space. And they really had invested hours and months of their time planning. Now, these two astronauts get on the top of this rocket, and it's about ready to blast off. And they turn to each other, and they say, well, okay, now, you know, hey, you know what? Where are we going? And the guy says, we're going to Mars. And the guy says, do you know anything about Mars? The guy says, no, I know nothing about Mars. Really? Okay. Would they invest all that time in preparation and really not know where they're going? Well, if I was guessing, I bet you know how you're going to get to heaven. How are you going to do that? Through the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with yourself. You're not going to earn it. You're not going to merit it. You're not going to improve upon it. It's all based upon grace and what Jesus has done for you. But let me ask you a question. Once you get there, once you get to heaven, what are you going to do? 
Well, it's going to take up your time. Well, I think this section of Scripture, Jesus talks and infers some things that we want to talk about today. Now, this parable recorded in Luke chapter 16, it's a little difficult one. In fact, if you want to, you kind of go, the manager, and he was dishonest, and he was affirmed, and kind of what's going on here? You kind of go, what is this all about, this parable? It's a little bit confusing. Well, that's what you, what you have here, again, as a, as a manager. He's a steward. It's not his money. He's managing somebody else's portfolio. And he gets fired. But before he gets fired, he has a little bit of time. And using that little time, what he does is he calls in his boss's uh, people that owe his boss stuff. And he calls them in and he cuts their bill, right? You got that. He cuts the bill of these people. Now, we don't know all what it is about the commerce and business of that time. We, you know, we don't know all what was going on. And different people have different ideas. What could have been happening, possibly could have been, the manager might have put some of his own fees on his, uh, his boss's uh, accounts. And what he did was he called those people who, his, uh, who owed his, bo- his boss's, uh, who he owed money to, and he called them in and he cut his fees out of it. Possibly that could have been it. Not quite sure. But whatever, the manager seemed happy with it because he said, hey, congratulations. He didn't seem upset. So that might have been quite what was going on there. But we don't want to get lost in the details of the story. Because in 8 and 9, Jesus really makes his point. He really talks the idea about uh, the people who of the world use wealth to to, uh, plan their future. The people of light, disciples of Christ, how are they using their resources, their talent, their treasures, their time? How are they using that to impact eternity? That's really what he's challenging his disciples to think about, which I want to encourage you to think about today as well. Now, in your bulletin, there's a little outline there. I like to give you something tangible to take with you, and a little three little blanks there, and there's some application questions on the back, and I'm going to kind of wrestle, uh, work through that today if I can. And the first point is this. We are stewards of money that is not ours. We are stewards of money that is not ours. There was a farmer one time who uh, went into a, a huge uh, overgrown forest, and it was just this land that was just hard to, it was just not any use at all. And he cleared it out. He, just, he, he, he cleared out this huge area for his, for his farming. And he took a buddy. He wanted to show the buddy kind of what had happened, what he'd done. He, and he, when he got to, the, got to the area where his farm was in the middle of this forest, he said, hey, look at this thing. Look, look at all this. It was just worthless until I got here and I cleared it all out. Look what I've done. God, when he was here, it was a mess. And when I got here, I cleared it all out. Look what I've done. Took credit for himself. He thought he had accomplished. Look what he had done. Well, hmm. All that is a little bit of kind of how we, maybe we don't uh, overtly think that way, but often we kind of think, well, I've worked real hard. Uh, I've gone to school. I've got some smarts. Uh, Look what I've accomplished and done. We kind of take credit for stuff that we have accomplished and do. Well, let's think back on that. Reflect a minute. You're alive. Could you do work if you weren't alive? Don't think so. So your life is a gift from God. There are a lot of people who have health challenges. They can't get out. They can't do things. Uh, You have health. If you had health to work, or accomplish, do things around the house? Do you, is that health something you're owed? Is it something that uh, you deserve? No. Health is a gift. Talent and abilities that you have. 
We're different. We were around the room today. Each person has different talents and interests and passions, gifts, styles. We all have that. Is that to your credit? No, I think God fashioned you. He created your DNA. He gave you certain interests and passions that uh, you use, hopefully to his glory, so your talent. And then opportunity. Uh, you know, you could have been raised in 13th century Tibet, and uh, your opportunities would be pretty minimal. You'd be taking care of yaks and sheep, and you did that for generations. That's all you would have. So you've been raised, and most of us have been raised in areas where we had amazing opportunities. Were you owed that? No, I don't think so. James 1.17 says, every good gift we have comes from the Father above. Every good gift, your life, your health, your talents, your opportunities. Now, if you were a money manager in New York City, and uh, a little bit like a steward, you're using, you're using somebody else's money, and some rich guy hired you and said, okay, you know, this is the plan. Uh, you can keep 90% of your profits. I'm only asking you to give 10% back to me. Wow, would that be a deal? 90%? I don't think any money manager anywhere would think, would, would argue with those kind of statistics. They'd say, I'm in. 90% count on me. Well, that's essentially what God has done for us. The section of scripture that Gary read, God, kind of Old Testament guidelines is kind of a 10%. You've, you know, you've heard that. You've all been around long enough. But that's kind of the, that's kind of the baseline, 10%. You keep 90%. It's actually all his anyway, right? But the, the baseline is, are you involved in letting go of 10%? That's the kind of stewardship that God calls us to use his resources and give it of a, minimum, a beginning spot of 10% away. That passage that Gary read said, and it's a, it's a challenging one, it says, will you rob God? Will you rob me? Uh, you ask, how do I rob you? With tithes and offerings, keeping all that for yourself. Now, let me ask you kind of a, a, a challenging question. Uh, where does your money go most effortlessly, effortlessly, most joyfully? Where does it go? Where does money just fly out of your pocket? Where does it do that? Well, I can tell you some things in my life, and, and I have some neighbors here that kind of know that if you, if, you, if you live near me, you know. In my backyard, right, you kind of know where my money went. Kids' sports. I mean, I'm in. I remember my oldest son wanted a, little, wanted a pair of shoes to do judo in. I bought that. He judoed, went to one, one thing. Uh, in my backyard, as my neighbors know, there is a 66-foot basketball court in my backyard, full court. It's all lined up, three-point shots, the whole bit. Now, I hadn't been used in a while because my kids have been gone for a while, but you can, you can see very quickly what flies out of my pocket, at least used to, very easily. When it came to kids' sports, I was all in. I, was, I met a new friend, Ben, here a minute ago, and we are talking about OSU. Well, four of my five kids went to Oklahoma State. I, don't, I guess that money got sucked out of my back pocket. I don't think it flew. I think it just got sucked out of my back. I didn't like it, but it just had to go. So, I mean, you know, I'm all about education. That was important for my kids. Uh, and that was, that was that. Now, today I'd say, if you, kind of, if you got into my brain and in my checkbook, you'd probably see savings is a big, is a big I mean, I'm, I'm a big saver. And, you know, what often happens, my wife's not in this service, so I can say it. But, you know, God always brings opposites together, right? Jerry spends it, and I want to save it, right? This is how life is. So, you know, it's always the opposites can come together. So, um, and, and that's okay. But we have to negotiate and work at that a lot in, in our home. Because I'm, it's a security. I want to put it away for a rainy day or retirement if that ever comes, whatever. 
So that is kind of where, uh, if you followed where the money joyfully flows out of my pocket, that's where it goes. Follow the money, that's where your treasure is. That where, that's where your heart really is. We're all stewards of the money God puts in our possession. One day we will give account. My question to you is, do, does any of yours fly towards eternal causes? Eternal causes. Second would be this, second point today. We are in need of a love that is not here. We are in need of a love that is not here. Now, on your little outline that I passed out today, there's a C.S. Lewis quote. And I think it's really a good one. And C.S. Lewis says this. He says, most people, if they really looked into their own hearts, would know that they, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There's something, nothing satisfies uh, completely that we experience in life. Uh, If we have stuff, it breaks. If we have beauty, it fades. If we have work, it ends. I got to tell this little story. I live in a neighborhood where there was a man around the corner from me. Maybe I noticed this because my yard doesn't look that good. He, every day I'd go by, he was in his yard all the time. People took pictures of his yard all the time. I mean, people would go stand in his yard and just, you know, to be seen in it. It was that beautiful. Well, he died. He died. Today, that yard is a mess. You all know where that, I mean, weeds. I mean, I'm thinking, here this guy spent years on this yard, and look what it is today. I know he got enjoyment from it, and that's great. But I'm thinking, ah, it's just kind of sad looking at what stuff, you know, and work, and where it all ends up. Okay, stuff breaks, beauty fades, work ends. And the family die. Uh, No one is permanent. No one is permanent. Bottom line, if you got into it, what we all really need, all the stuff of the world, all faiths, as I say, what we all really need is love. And the secular world would talk about that. You know, you you see things. The secular world, we really need love. We need relationships. Now, recently I went to a movie. I went to the movie Beauty and the Beast, right? Okay. I went, and I took two. I took Toby Howard's two kids. We were in Dow- We were in Oklahoma City. We went about halfway through the movie. What happens? You know, the Beast and the Beauty, they walk out to dance. And, and I have to admit, it wasn't a, it wasn't a guy flick. But anyway, I, I kind of teared up at that point. Kind of embarrassed to tell you that. I was glad it was dark and they were sitting. They, they didn't see. I kind of turned this way. did this kind of deal. I mean, I'm thinking, wow. What, I mean, it is the, 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 the issue of... The beast was beginning to be loved. I'm going, wow, what a great scene. And again, uh, beauty and the beast. Because, you know, we're all the beast, aren't we? We're all, we have that dark side we don't want others to see. We all have that. And the idea in the culture, love. And love, the, the beast was transformed by love. My wife made the point. I read a Max Lucado deal that Max Lucado talks about. It says, well, the, the beauty kissed the beast. And, and that helped change. But Jesus gave his life for us. That's good. That's good. Jesus gave his life for the beast, and he died in our place. But we all want to be loved. How true is that? Now, um, we get a little bit of foretaste of love uh, in Jesus. When, uh, we, that, uh, that grace that we receive in Christ. In this world, we get a little foretaste of unconditional love that we all need. We need that kind of love. Philip Yancey describes this grace, this love we receive in Christ, I love this quote. I say it a lot. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less. He just loves you. That's a supernatural love. That's love that we do not know in this world. 
I, I like this little story that Brennan Manning tells. He says about mm, kind of a young person walks over to an older guy on a bench, and he's kind of wants to share Christ with this old man, this young guy does, and he's talking about God's love, and the old man looks at the young guy and says, oh, yes, yes, oh, yes, God, he's very fond of me. He's very fond of me. Do you believe that? That God is very fond of you. He loves you with an amazing, out-of-this-world love. Okay, now, the, um, I, w- I want to share a little bit, kind of barriers to love real quickly, real quickly. And, and I've done this in your outline. You can see that if you have that, there, the, the, the things we experience in this world, we love their barriers to love um, in the, the natural way in this world. And uh, Jonathan Edwards was a great preacher, and he was in the uh, 1800s and he in 1700s, and he had this sermon. The sermon was called "Heaven: A World of Love," and in it he described five barriers to love the way we experience it in life. And I think it's worthy to go over these. Now, the first one is this: we want to be. These are barriers to love. Okay, barriers that we get a tidbit of love from uh, an experience. We experience Christ, that unconditional love we all need. But in our natural state, there are barriers to love that, uh, that we experience. And, and here's one of them. We all want to be loved for our own sake. We want people to love us for who we are. We want to be known and loved. That's a nature, as I described, God's love for us. But we want to experience that from other people. But often we love others and they love us. There's something behind. There's some reason behind it. They, they want to get something out of it, or we do. I remember years ago when I first came to the church, I, I called all the deacons and elders and asked them out to lunch. Just wanted to get to know them. So one guy I had lunch with, and about two or three weeks later, he called me back up. And I thought, great, he wants to get to know me. What a great deal. About halfway through that lunch, he said, now, Murray, about your life insurance. Oh, man. It was just like, oh, crusher. You know, I thought he just wanted to hang out with me. And he wanted something. So, and that's what a lot of love is. There's something people want in that uh, exchange. But in heaven will be a place where you are fully known and fully loved for who you are. Second, a second other impediment to love that we experience in life is a love. We want to express love without impediment. We want to express love without impediment. The problem is we all have families of origin. We've got issues from our, our backgrounds. We have worries. We've got fears, misunderstandings, poor timing, hurry. We fly by people. We often fail to say and do the kind and loving things we need to do. And people need to hear and see. Just because that's the way life is. It blows by, doesn't it? You know, people are a little bit like a, we have a cold cup of water, and people are thirsty, and they need to hear, they need to experience love, but we don't make time, or we just have issues in our own lives. But in heaven, hugs and love will be freely shared. We'll have all the time in the world, all the time in heaven, to love those around us. Third impediment, the third a barrier to love in this world is we all want to love mutually. Now, there's a misprint in your bulletin, the thing I passed out, that says maturely, not a bad word, could go, but this is uh, mutually. You know, when love, there's something about love. When we love people, we want to be loved back. We want, we want a mutuality to that love. I remember uh, when I was in college, I I'd had a date with, with a girl two or three times, and I called her back up for a date again, and she said, she said, they said, Murray, I can't date my friends. I went, I'm, a, I'm your friend. I can't date. Oh, that's it. That was, that was a punt. That was, I was out of there. 
I felt bad for a day or two, moved on. That's okay. But I thought, I can't date my friends. That's a very creative line. Girls, if you're single, you can use that line. But anyway, I can't date my friends. But in heaven, everybody will love everybody else mutually and fully. Okay, that'll be heaven. Fourth is this. A fourth barrier to love is we, we want everybody we love to be happy. And they're not. If you know more than five people and you love more than five people, somebody's not happy out there. Somebody's struggling. And when people you love struggle, you struggle, right? That's how it is. Now, you don't have to get involved in people's lives. C.S. Lewis made, had this quote. He said, if you don't want to, your heart to be broken or to be hurt, just stop loving people. Of course, then you'll become a hardened person and you're right on the way to hell. But Lewis said, pretty good point. So if you're engaged in people, your heart's going to hurt because of those you love at times will not be happy. But in heaven, you're going to be in a situation where those you love will be perfectly happy and therefore your love will be perfect as well. The last little barrier I would say is this. We want to never be separated from those people we love. Okay. Now my family now has grown to 10 people, 10 people. I have a granddaughter. She's about 10 months old. And so we're now 10, and that's great. But it's kind of a tough thought to think, you know what? That if we got all 10 people together at one point, we hadn't done that yet. But if we ever did that, one person of those 10 people will bury the other nine. One person will bury the other nine, right? It's kind of a sad thought. But we want love that's permanent. We want love that's eternal. And that won't happen this side of uh, heaven. Jesus Christ has provided a way that we're going to live forever. Your friends, your family, those folks you love will be eternally with you in heaven. I love the expression is this. Everything bad, this is in Christ, everything bad will turn out good. Everything good will last forever. And the best is yet to come. And the best is yet to come. That's what heaven is about. Okay. So finally, the last point of your little outline says this. It says, we are called to invest where we do not see. We are called to invest where we do not see. Now, when your mind thinks of heaven, when your mind thinks of heaven, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? Clouds rolling by with a harp. Maybe an eternal worship service. Boring. I'm not not sure what comes to your mind when you think about heaven. Now, there's a great quote in here that uh, I'm not going to read today. There's a great, A.A. Hodge was a Princeton seminary professor and he has a great view of heaven. And here is, here's the deal about heaven, as I would say. Heaven is going to maximize every passion, gifts, and style you have. You have. It's not going to be a place where you're going to be ethereal and bodiless. I think God and Jesus Christ has redeemed your body. He is going to redeem and restore the earth. The place that you see around you is going to be free from sin, corruption, uh, evil. You were created. You were created for this earth. In Revelation 21, 1, it says this, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So you were made to live on earth. We screwed it up. God's going to restore it, okay? I kind of joked last Thursday that I'm going to be playing basketball for three or four hours with Michael Jordan. I'm going to beat him. I'll do it again the next day. It's going to be great. That's a great, great place. Our life is a little bit like this. It, our, our life on earth is a bell curve. It's a bell curve. Basically, you're born, you know, you get here 34. 40, maybe if you're lucky, 50, I'm 63, okay. You know, that kind of, that's all right. It's a bell-shaped curve. Heaven is a different deal. Heaven is this. Every day will be better than the day before. 
Heaven is just a line going better and better. You get to know God. You be with friends and family. It's going to be a beautiful place. My question to you all today is this. You're going to be there, but Jesus talked about using your wealth, and I would say using your time and your talent as well, to invest in eternal dwellings. So what are you doing today to invest your time, talent, treasure to eternal things? What do you do that makes an eternal difference? On the back of your sheet, if you look at that thing, I gave you three application questions. Three questions. One, and I want you to think about this. Talk about this at lunch, uh, whatever it might be. I'd love you to, to challenge your mind. Do you use your time loving others or pursuing personal pleasures? Sometimes, hopefully, you're pursuing your personal pleasures. You can love people as a part of, a part of that. I get that. But do you use your time loving others or pursuing just your own pleasures? Simply that. Is your, and notice I use the word his because it's all a gift, right? Is your talent used to build others up or to showcase your abilities? And finally, is your money used for status and security, as often mine is? Or do you use your money to make forever friends? Those little cards on the back, if you're on the way out, those little cards you could pick up, be a neat way to hand people. Who knows? God might use that to make eternal friends, to have an eternal impact as they hear and respond to the gospel. Okay. The real challenge for us is this. How does that happen? How do we change? How do we live lives with eternal impact? I think the best way to be honest with you is to fall more in love with Jesus. And how do you fall more in love with Jesus? Realizing how much he loves us and what he did for us. He died in our stead. The death that we deserve, Jesus died. We serve an amazing God who loves us thoroughly, inside and out. He went to the cross for us. As I come into more realization of that truth, I fall more in love with him, and my life falls in line. So it's really all about Jesus. I saw a sign recently that said, it's all about Jesus. It is. It's all about Jesus. As I fall in love with him and responding to his love for me, my life begins to, I want it to count for eternity. And how that looks in your life, I can't say. You have different, again, you have different calls in my life. But I, I, I think the challenge is to allow God to use us to let our lives speak for eternity. May we pray. Lord, we do thank you for the truths of the gospel. May you work in each of our lives here today. Lord, you have a plan for each person here. You know them inside and out. You've gifted them. You've given them opportunities uh, to use for eternal benefit. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, help us fall more in love with you, to realize, Lord, it really is all about Jesus ultimately. And as we uh, come to that love relationship with you, Lord, you might transform us, that we might invest ourselves in eternal dwellings, as this passage talked about. Lord, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.